You know, most problems in healthcare are fixed already. Primary care is already cured on the fringes. Reversing burnout, physician shortages, bad business models, forced buyouts, factory medicine, high deductible insurance that squeezes the docs and is totally inaccessible to most of the employees. The big squeeze is always on for docs. It's the acceleration of cost and the deceleration of reimbursements. I want you to meet those on this show that are making a difference with host Ron Barshop, CEO of Beacon Clinics. That's me. Who is the uh, black hat? Who's the villain in this drama called healthcare? Is it big pharma? Is it the big hospital systems? Are quarterly report pressures the reason why the system is broken? Is it shareholders versus all the rest of us? Well, absolutely not. Big anything loses touch with the ultimate user. But they are playing a game, a game that certainly they're designing and having a huge influence on with lobbying money. And they have buku money to influence the future any way the direction they choose. Almost half a billion in lobbyist dough is paid out annually. Um, 18% of any, all the lobbyists in D.C. are healthcare lobbyists. Them's the rules. It's all legal. If you had a rule book that gave you unprecedented EBITDA, which is how the game is currently measured in the past 10 years, you'd want to keep that under your hat. You'd want to keep that game exactly like it is. So even though the every employee in our country are baffled when employers smilingly enroll them in a policy that they simply can't access, 70% don't have the scratch to make the copays and the deductibles, and the average credit card debt today is about $7,000. Medical bankruptcy is uh, two-thirds of all the bankruptcies, so bigger than all the other categories combined, and 70% of those medical bankruptcies had insurance. They miss work. They feel like they're going to lose their jobs and homes if they get sick, and polls show most are in deep fear of even taking time off that they've earned. Warren Buffett calls health care is the tapeworm of our economy. Bill Gates says that it's destroying our schools and our state budgets. Dave Chase, our guest today, makes a lovely and elegant case if you go to his TED Talk, how healthcare is single-handedly stealing the American dream, destroying our middle class, forcing mediocrity on our schools, bankrupting our governments, local, county, state, federal, that our deficit spending is largely due to healthcare, and in his newest book, we learn, is directly responsible for the opioid crisis. Who is the real villain? The answer shocked me when I learned from Dave Chase that it's me, it's the employers. Dave, welcome to the show. I want to tell you all about Dave. Um, he worked at Microsoft, built a billion-dollar division under the Microsoft banner in healthcare, did it again, built a company that he sold to WebMD north of $20 million, and then lost in the course of all this 10 close friends, which motivated you to do and create what, Dave? Yeah, I created the Health Rosetta, which is basically a blueprint that is based on proven nonpartisan fixes to healthcare. What I found was just as the Egyptian hieroglyphics were indecipherable once upon a time and the Rosetta Stone helped decode that, the people would crack the code, you know, and basically fix healthcare. Um, I just kind of abstracted that out and found the common threads and, and gave it a name. And I'm kind of Johnny Appleseed on spreading the word. Unfortunately, most people aren't aware that healthcare has already been uh, fixed 
just not nearly enough. Of course, we we say on our website, healthcare's fixed. We're just replicating the fixes, and it's you know a true and aspirational statement at the same time. And so, fortunately, there are ways that many organizations throughout the country, rural, urban, large, small, private, public, um, you know, are spending twenty to fifty percent less with superior health outcomes. So it's absolutely possible, and we're we're getting after it and getting a great response. So when I heard your talk, I was staying at a Rosen Hotel in Florida, and your talk described Rosen as really the one of the best models because what they're doing, besides beating the pants off their competition because of reduced healthcare costs with proactive measures that I'd like you to talk about, but they're investing in the community around them, and crime has dropped in the neighborhood. The kids are now getting sponsored to college by Mr. Rosen. He went out by the swimming pool while I was listening to the end of your your talk, and I wanted to go give the guy a hug. Little little Jewish man with his little Jewish wife, and it was so adorable. But uh, he's really kind of gave you a wake-up call that it can be done, can it? Yeah, absolutely. I mean, who would have thought that getting smart about your health benefits would you know, result in crime plummeting, high school graduation rates? increasing despite having a workforce that's got very significant health challenges. I mean, for example, 56% of their pregnancies are categorized high risk. And, you know, you mentioned the opioid crisis earlier, you know, despite having physically demanding jobs, because they have proper primary care in place, guess what? They have opioid prescriptions that are at one-sixth the level of a typical employer. Uh, pretty much putting them at the level of countries that don't have a significant opioid problem. And, you know, the steps were quite simple. Um, but, you know, sometimes people don't want to, you know, hear the solutions and certainly the people who are profiting from the dysfunction don't. Uh, but they show how it absolutely can be done. He didn't know anything about healthcare 20 years ago, but, you know, rolled up his sleeve, put on his problem solving hat like he does in every other area of his business and got it done and has been doing it for decades. So what divine providence that I was staying at his hotel. Um, it seems too good to be true that Health Rosetta is a game changer, but I want to tell you it is a game changer. If I am an employer here in Houston, Texas, and my broker comes to me with the same old, same old, with here it's another 6% bump, and it's not our fault, it's those damn insurance companies pointing fingers everywhere but at himself, and then a Health Rosetta guy comes in and makes a counterproposal, and it's 35% less, this is real, isn't it? This is not some fairy tale. No, I mean, we've got hundreds of examples. I mean, I get it. I get new ones every day. I just, I was talking to a guy in Idaho today. He told me about a bunch of them in Eastern Idaho, which is a very rural part of Idaho. Um, you know, last week I heard one, it was a company called Pacific Steel in Montana. They took their healthcare spending from 8 million to last year, they closed out at 3.4 million. And it wasn't by making benefits worse. It was by making them better. And, you know, it was a great, little side point to that story was a forklift driver uh, who'd worked for them for 30 years. This is a, you know, a employee stock ownership um, company. So this forklift driver, I think topped out at making 45,000 a year. He walked out with a $1.8 million uh, ESOP uh, payout. And, you know, that wasn't entirely healthcare, but certainly healthcare was a big part of that story because they weren't squandering money anymore on things that didn't help people feel better or maintain their health. And so it's, it's being done all over. Uh, just, you know, you're not hearing about it enough. That's why 
I want to be Johnny Appleseed on spreading this message, basically. So the disruption you're creating really at a high level, and I do want to dig into the meat and potatoes of this because it seems too good to be true for a first-time listener, but it's not. It's real. I'm, I have reduced my cost 65%. I use a company that you know well, Redirect Health, and I've layered on a catastrophic plan on top of that. My Aetna premiums were 700 and now I'm paying less than half that. So, uh, and, and they have basically no copay, no deductible, free 24-7 access to a doctor. Uh, Christmas Day, every day of the year, two languages. So my employees are using telehealth. They're using not have the 70% of the time you don't have to go to a doctor and you can handle it over the phone. They're calling in their kid's pink eye because they've seen it 10 times before and they don't need to miss a half a day of work to go do a doctor visit. So I'm I'm living it too right now. But if, if at a high level, it seems to me like Health Rosette is displacing the typical middleman broker, the traditional benefits advisor who is pr producing the same old, same old by basically scaring the pants out of them. They, they almost defensively have to come to Health Rosetta, don't they? Well, I mean, that's one way of looking at it. But, you know, what I found is most people in the industry went into it for all the right reasons. They wanted to do the right thing. I mean, I include myself in that. At one time, I was part of the problem, you know, generating as big a bills as possible out of hospitals. Um, and so when you show them another way and you awaken them as to what's going on, the great benefits consultants, boy, these folks are worth their weight in gold. And so it's, you know, if somebody chooses to not be awakened, yeah, sure, they're going to be replaced by their competitor. And so we're not, you know, saying, oh, just go, you know, to www.healthrosetta.org and, and do this all online. We still believe deeply in the value of a great benefits consultant, you know, because they can have that intimate understanding of the business, their priorities, the local market conditions, and then we can, you know, give them some tools to make their job a little easier. Um, so yeah, that's, that's really the way we look at it. So are, are the giants, let's just call it, say Higginbotham or some of the giants, are there brokers that are inside these giants that are using the health Rosetta model? Yeah. I mean, people are getting certified as individuals. And so we have folks inside of some of the bigger organizations and, you know, I think either their management isn't noticing or they're like, oh, you know, things are going to evolve just like they do in every other area of the economy. Let them be the sort of pioneers and see how it works. You know, these people aren't taking a vow of poverty to do this. They're just aligning their interest with the interest of the employees and employers they're working for versus, you know, unfortunately, the way much of the industry has been set up is they're pitching themselves as buyer's agents and then paid like seller's agents. It's almost like if you were in a lawsuit and the other side was paying for your attorney, like that would be pretty ludicrous. But that's kind of the way the industry had been set up. And so these folks are, are saying, no, I, I actually want to work for the employer and we'll get paid a fair wage for, you know, or fee for that. And then they just make it happen. Well, let's dig into the Health Rosetta model a little bit here. I see a list. The first on the list would be explain what transparent pharmacy benefits means. You know, sadly, um, given there's a lot of money being spent in pharma, uh, there's more shenanigans there than maybe in just about anywhere in the industry and uh, things like rebates and spread pricing. And it's just, it's a, you know, enormous shell game. And so... Transparent pharmacy benefits is kind of like what it sounds. 
you should pay and know what you're paying and what you're paying for it and not have definitions change on you, you know, mid contract and all of that. And if it's a great medication that has high value, you know, it should get paid appropriately. And, you know, there's some just really goofy things out there where, you know, two over the counter medications that, you know, might cost you combined $13 are put into one pill and they're charging $2,000. Um, I think most people would say, you know what, taking two pills versus one is worth saving a couple thousand dollars. And so it's just getting those type of things in place and, um, you know, just removing the games basically from the process. I'm looking at the words transparent open open networks. That sounds wonderful. What does that mean? Basically, it looks like a successor to the PPO networks that probably were a good idea at one time. But now, you know, when you rent a PPO network, which is typically what you do as an employer, you pay for the privilege of wildly overpaying um, versus a transparent open network says, kind of as you'd say, anybody can participate if they have a fair price and, you know, we'll um, just make it straightforward, you know, and rather than paying you know, three or 10 or 50 times, you know, what Medicare pays, uh, you know, it will probably be, you know, more like, you know, 120% of Medicare or 150% of Medicare, depending on what it is. And if both parties believe it's a fair trade, then they make that happen. It's, you know, kind of like the way the rest of the world operates. I don't need to have a preferred provider organization to, you know, go to a restaurant or get my car fixed. Um, and so this is just the way it's done increasingly with the smart benefits purchasers. Um, Dave, what does independent active plan administration look like? Um, what it means is there are uh, third-party administrators. So most uh, of the workforce are actually in companies that pay their own claims. Uh, they may have a, a third party typically who pays for that. Sometimes that's traditional carriers paying for that. but uh, what you find with the smart benefits purchasers is they have independent third-party administrators and they very actively watch what's being paid. Unfortunately, a lot of the, the typical carrier power, because they're spending your money, they happily will, will pay far, far more than they should for something. Whereas when it's actively and independently managed, you know, they might have a threshold of $5,000 or $20,000 where they'll look at those claims. And, and I can tell you from having worked inside of hospital billing departments, I don't know if a hospital bill over 10000 has ever gone out without an error. And so, you know, we see situations where literally there's $200,000 billionaires, you know, that had, were going to get paid, um, you know, again, because it wasn't your money. You know, it's, uh, I mean, it wasn't the carrier's money, it was your money. And so just watching those, you've, you catch those before they actually go out the door. Um, and unfortunately, there's a lot of games to, to overpay and then reprice and then get a cut of that pricing. It's just, it's just one of these goofy things that has been accepted for some reason that's going away increasingly. So Dave, if you were a king for a day, what three changes would you make to Make health make healthcare work again in America without all the waste and all the fraud and all the abuse and all the games. Yeah, I mean it's you know, I guess one maybe a cheat on the answer is you know we have a blueprint that sort of lays that out and rebuilds things brick by brick. 
Um, the other big theme, and you know, you can go to our site and it kind of lays that out in my books. Um, the other big theme is um, relocalizing healthcare. You know, you find like a community I'm in, there's no health plan or hospital even that is owned by any local organization. And, you know, doing some rough calculations, I've found that over 50% of the dollars spent on healthcare in our community get extracted out of the community. And so sort of like, you know, shop local comes back to healthcare. We, we think of shop local with food and retail, uh, but what's more local than an interaction between a patient and a doctor and nurse? And so that there's some things that we're working on. And, you know, as primary care gets rebuilt and these transparent open networks, that's all very possible. And, you know, all these middlemen who are not only not adding value, they're extracting value. You just remove the stuff that's not really healthcare and then just keep the stuff that is healthcare in it. So, Dave, the uh, news today is that not only is Berkshire, J.P. Morgan and Amazon binding together to reinvent healthcare. It appears 60 companies their size and larger, including at Apple and GE and uh, Walmart, are all banding together to form an employer's council to basically have the buying power to change the way the game is being played. What do you make of that? Who's going to be the winners and the losers in that game? Well, I mean, I applaud them for doing that. And uh, at the same time, when the Amazon Berkshire, you know, JP Morgan thing came out, I wrote a couple pieces, you know, 11 reasons why I could change healthcare, but then the 10 mistakes to avoid. And if you look at the history of these coalitions, the results are frankly abysmal. And so there's some mistakes they should avoid. Uh, there's this uh, belief that you have to be giant to have uh, negotiating clout. A lot of ways that's not true. Um, you know, there's a longer explanation on that, but what we see is the smaller and mid-market organizations are actually proactively doing that. And in fairness to the big organizations, uh, besides being, you know, really complex and uh, political, um, you know, they're in many different locations. It's really almost the hardest problem to solve. And if you look at disruptive innovation, uh, it almost always happens from the bottom and then moves up. And that's what we're seeing is, sure, there's some big employers who are doing some smart stuff, but most of the action is, you know, in the Rosens of the world, they're, you know, 50 to 5,000 employees versus, you know, 50,000 to 500,000. So what are you most excited about with the future of healthcare? What is uh, changing the game besides Rosetta? I make basically this show all about what I say the same thing you do, that healthcare is fixed. It's just fixed on the fringes and uh, it's going to work its way to the center, just like Federal Express, Express forever changed the post office, just like charter schools have forever changed the school system. A big bureaucracy like healthcare is going to get changed from the outside in. What are you most excited about when you think of how that's actually happening on the ground? Well, it's kind of two levels of it. There's the, you know, in terms of the healthcare specific part of it, the part I'm most excited is rebuilding the devastated primary care system. You know, we've we've essentially devastated that over the last 20 to 30 years. And it's really sad. I mean, these are people who are caring for us in our most vulnerable moments, and they've been turned into glorified billing clerks. And so you see, and I'm sure you're quite familiar with this, you know, how people get out of that. Um, but then, and and that's foundational. There's no well-functioning healthcare system in the entire world, not 
built on the top of proper primary care. And But then the part that I get most excited about it, and we kind of talked about it a little bit with Rosen, is what I call the health Rosetta dividend, you know, where you take, there's more than enough money sloshing around in the healthcare system to actually facilitate health. We know that the the so-called healthcare system, you know, only drives 10 or 20% outcomes. It's all of the other things, education, safe neighborhoods, clean air, clean water, um, you know, all these types of things that actually uh, promote health. And so what Rosen did is, is, is one example, but there's many others where you take money previously squandered and then you can put it into kids, education, schools, addressing senior loneliness, you know, mental health, uh, walkability, better food. I mean, there's all kinds of things that actually have a profound impact on health and well-being. And if we just stop stealing from health and well-being and, you know, and it going to non-value-add bureaucracy, you know, literally it would change our country overnight. So in your book, you talk about the average millennial is going to spend 50% of their total lifetime income on health care and wellness. Can you explain that a little bit? That seems almost unreal. I mean, are they buying, you know, stocking up for the apocalypse for Kleenexes? What exactly are they buying for 50% of their income? Yeah, it's crazy. You know, and, and a lot of the, you know, I have this iceberg metaphor um, on that. And so there's a stuff above the, the surface that they see, like their co-pays and, and, and some of that. Um, much of it's below the surface. So it's in the totality um, you know, whether it's paying for Medicare, Medicaid, you know, their own, the, the lost wages, and et cetera. And believe it or not, that 50% is actually the optimistic view, you know, in terms of the current trajectory where healthcare inflation only grows at half the rate of regular inflation versus, um, you know, what's happened. It usually exceeds uh, in the regular inflation rate. If Even if it just goes at the regular inflation rate, two-thirds of their lifetime earnings will go to the healthcare system. So they're effectively indentured servants to it. And these figures are very well sourced in a book. Yeah, I reference it, but there's a book called Catastrophic Care. Um, and, you know, the the silver lining in that is I don't believe that's going to happen. I believe there will be riots in the street before it happens, particularly since millennials are the largest generation in history. They're the largest generation chunk of the workforce in five years. They're 75% of the workforce. They're the ones who drove changed behaviors in terms of smartphone adoption, better food, uh, you know, social media, you name it. And the oldest millennials are leaving the invincible stage of their life where they're starting to pay attention to healthcare. And almost at every turn, healthcare is designed in exactly the opposite way that millennials want and desire. So that I think is the great underestimated force that's upon us. And so, you know, that's, that's where things really change. And it just would be horrible to leave that legacy, you know, for them. So right now we have serious presidential candidates talking about socialism openly. My theory after getting a dose of Dave Chase over the last uh, eight months since I first heard you and met you is that socialism is a natural outcropping of a failed capitalist system that has failed largely because of healthcare, I think you would argue. Does that make sense? Well, you can understand why people are really frustrated. Gosh, how could it be that we spend twice what just about every other country spends? We have pretty much the bottom of the, the developed world in terms of outcomes, 
and we've simultaneously made life miserable for nurses and doctors. Like that's quite an achievement if you think about it. Um, so you could understand why people would be frustrated and believe that, um, you know, there's a, another solution. You know, unfortunately, the three big problems in our healthcare system, uh, pricing failure, overtreatment, and, and administrative bloat, they're, they're just pretty much as bad in our um, Medicare you know, they're, they're better in some areas and worse in others. You know, overtreatment's worse. Pricing failure's a little better. Um, we have to fix it across the board no matter what kind of system we have. And so we're, we're fiercely nonpartisan in what we do, um, but we're very cognizant and very articulate, we try to be at least, on how both the employer and the Medicare and Medicaid for that matter have really failed. You know, I just don't buy that other countries are 2.6 times smarter than us, yet we pay 2.6 times more for most services than other countries. It makes no sense. Well, I mean, going back to your earlier point on the amount of lobbying dollars, you know, we have a system that's very driven by, um, you know, uh, lobbying dollars, basically, and, you know, and campaigns and all of that. And, you know, as I often say, there's very few true conservatives or very few true progressives. 80% of the electeds are preservatives. They're just paid to preserve the status quo. And so, uh, you know, I believe, and I think history would suggest that any great societal problem that we've had has gotten solved bottom up, grassroots, and, and then eventually ripples through the country and, and the national folks will jump to the front of the parade on that. But it's on us. You know, we, we all contributed to this, whether we knew it or not. And the Calvary is not coming from D.C. to fix it. Uh, you know, I wish it would, but I think we've got 50 years of evidence otherwise with both parties fully in control. So we have to be sober about that and realize, you know, whether it's, you know, energy independence or civil rights, these things get solved bottom up and then ripple around. So Dave Chase, you're officially a thought leader now. What thought leadership books are you recommending people read to that influenced you? Um. You know, in, inside our category, probably the one I recommend the most, I mentioned one earlier, Catastrophic Care, which is great, but probably the one I recommend the most is by Dr. Marty uh, McCary uh, called Unaccountable. And he's got another book coming out in the fall. He's he's does great uh, work in that area. And then, you know, I, I will then go further afield, you know, and uh, one of the books I read recently is called The First Conspiracy. You know, it's about the... Uh, most people don't know about the plot to uh, assassinate George Washington. It's a pretty amazing story, well-documented. And in a lot of ways, I look at the folks driving the change are the patriots in this. 
And then there's the status quo loyalists. And if you look at the the strategies that the British had to try to thwart the patriots, there's some real parallels, you know, with the status quo protectors here. So a lot of times you can learn lessons, you know, from history and from outside your category. So that's one recently that I got that I really enjoyed. Is there any type of a conference or a ground zero where the transparency movement and the health Rosetta movement and all of the movements that are driving change can all get together and uh, high five each other? There are, there are a few. Um, one that is um, uh, happening that's, that's great is the Hint Summit. Hint, they power a lot of the direct primary care and the direct care space. So we actually piggybacked off of their event. Um, you know, it's the day before, and they're really at the apex of this movement and realizing, gosh, you know, we don't pull out our, um, you know, Geico or State Farm card when we go get our, you know, car, you know, oil change or whatever. Uh, so why would you force that through some insurance bureaucracy? Um, so that's a great one. Um, there's some, you know, folks in the free market medical association that are, are really pushing, uh, that side of things. And, uh, yeah, here and there, there's some, there's some other good ones, but I, you know, I, I like the hint summit a lot. They've done a nice job with it. Yeah. I talked with the executive director of the free market association and they're pushing for a bill, um, that is going to force hospital transparency and pricing, uh, visibility. The problem is they're not sure how they're going to get it out of committee. And they got a Republican sponsor. They're looking for a Democratic sponsor. But their history is they, uh, the I believe it was Indiana, that had a 100% vote of the legislature. Both sides of the aisle voted for a transparency bill. And Governor Kasich uh, vetoed it. That might be Ohio, not uh, Indiana. But the uh, the again, the lobby knows exactly where to spend the money so that these things never see the light of day. It is unfortunate. Um, you know, I, I think it's unconscionable that so much taxpayer money goes to these and many of them are tax exempt entities. Um, and it would be unthinkable to put, you know, whether it's state employees or your employees or anybody into, uh, an airplane where that airline suppressed their, uh, safety culture and safety data, you know, that just wouldn't be possible yet it's 47 times uh, more dangerous to be admitted to a hospital than to jump out of a, a plane with a parachute. And that's from preventable medical mistakes. And so we need to expect a lot more. We're spending so much money um, and they're getting, you know, huge tax breaks. And so, you know, I don't know why we wouldn't expect that like we'd expect it in every other area. You know, I, I wouldn't even call it a tax break. If you're not paying property taxes, income taxes, personal property taxes, if there's a hospital tax to add to that revenue, if there's a four times to 10 times pricing advantage for that hospital, if there's a, a ability to spend lobbying dollars to make sure you're always protected with the most um, successful and richest lobby of all time. And if you're a teaching hospital, all of the $60,000 residents' salaries are paid for by the federal government, even though they're billing them out at $2.4 million a year. On the average, that's a pretty good return on investment, zero cost for $2.4 million. Uh, what I don't understand is why we don't like hospitals, but we love our local hospital. 
them. They must throw the best galas. They must have the best high integrity boards of directors that are impeccable citizens in our community. I mean, it's it's almost like not in my backyard do I have a problem, but boy, does do hospitals have a problem? Yeah, it's it's pretty it's pretty interesting. You know, there there's increasingly an awakening, and you know, some hospitals are stepping up and doing something different. I mean, the Idaho example I gave you earlier, there were actually some good examples from some community hospitals doing the right thing. Unfortunately, too many of these tax-exempt hospitals have lost their way. And so that's a real unfortunate thing. And, and you know, I think that as they've um, overplayed their hand, you know, there will be a, a reckoning for that. And that's starting to come. If you could fly a banner overhead across all of America, what would it say to people in a sentence? Probably say healthcare is fixed. Join us to, to fix it in your community. And they'll be, probably be very confused, um, but it's absolutely doable. All right, healthcareisfixed.com. Let's get that. Hey, Dave, how can people reach out to you and find you if they want to learn more? Yeah, pretty straightforward. You know, on uh, organization is healthrosetta.org. And then I'm you know, at Chase Dave on most social media things. So you can find me on Twitter, LinkedIn, and so on. And uh, Google me. And I'm not the Sopranos producer. Um, so, but I, I think I beat him on most of the Google searches. So I think you're okay. <laughs> There you go. Thanks, Dave, for your time. It's been a great interview. Likewise. Thank you for the opportunity. You bet. Thank you for listening. You want to shake things up? There's two things you can do for us. One, go to primarycarecures.com for show notes and links to our guests. And number two, help us spotlight what's working in primary care by listening on iTunes or wherever you get your podcasts and subscribing and leave us a review. It helps our megaphone more than you know. Until next episode.